Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundin, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we're talking about generative AI in medical affairs insights with experts from virtual science AI, including CEO Tom Hughes, Chief Customer Officer Geraldine Riley, and Chief Technology Officer Hans Chen. This episode is sponsored by Virtual Science AI. So, Tom, AI, Gen AI, most of our listeners uh, are interested in this space and have heard of generative AI, but I'm not sure I know exactly what generative AI means, and I wonder if our listeners are in the same place. So could we pretty please start with what does generative AI mean and what is it doing in medical affairs now? Absolutely. It's a, an excellent question, Garth, and uh, it's great to be here. And uh, thanks for having us on the, the MAPS podcast. Um, let me start by saying Virtual Science AI is a life science advisory panel and pharma AI insight management solution company. You know, we're the first in the life science industry to capture and aggregate all interactive data from advisory panels and produce rapid insight reports that gives information on trends, themes, and, and topics coming out of those activities. We've developed medically trained AI that supports in this process. And we're working with many of the top leading pharmaceutical companies and biotechs. So what is generative AI and how is it being applied in medical affairs? I will hit it at a high level and I'll ask Hans to make a comment or chief technology officer on generative AI more technically. And then we'll back into to medical affairs as, as a group and, and talk about what we're seeing and use cases and how it's improving outcomes. But from my view, um, generative AI is a type of AI. It's a transformer model. And ultimately, how generative AI works is somewhat like a game. So the model is trained on certain data sets, and then it's trying to best guess the next word and then that model is being trained through different training techniques such as reinforced learning supervised learning unsupervised learning to help improve the accuracy of the model to um, serve the use case that that generative model is being designed for i'm going to ask hans to talk more specifically to generative AI and what it is. And then we're gonna talk a bit more specifically about advancements in, in medical affairs with the use of the Gen AI. Okay, Hans, before we get to that, let me just ask, is the generative part that best guess? So the thing is trained, however it's trained, and then it guesses, you said the next best word, is that the difference or the definition of generative AI compared to just the AI we've seen since, oh, I don't know, I mean, even the, what, 1980s or 90s? Is yeah. that generative? Yeah, so so that's a, that's a very good uh, way to look at it. So generative AI, if you, if you really look at the word generative, 
is generating the next work, generating what predicts the next work. And, and that actually allow a lot of potentials. It's called self, self-learning. That allows, um, it goes away and read the articles uh, from the uh, public internets and then learn from these contents. And so basically follow like the, you know, like you can imagine there's the reading procedure trying to predict the next word and then learn from it, whether this next word is accurate or not. So that, that is, uh, that is generally AI, uh, usually needs. And, and then from another perspective to look at this is that, um, generally AI is predicting the next word. Uh, based on the content that previously feeling. So in learning from the past experience of what is being trained. You know, that that's such an interesting, um, you know, the word generative seems like has has really driven the explosion of AI into the public consciousness just now, you know, where it's not just asking AI to find interesting things in a data set or, or things that we've done before, but it's asking AI to generate new knowledge. And I, I know that's I know that's a sticky way to frame it um, because it's taking old things and synthesizing it, but it's the generative aspect that really seems like medical affairs is, is now on board with leveraging. So where are we at then with the medical affairs uses of this generative AI? Let me start by saying that, you know, from the many interactions that we have across the the industry and from the interactions that, you know, we have at, you know, maps with with the community, you know, this is a hot topic and there's a a lot of interest and a lot of appetite to experiment. And, you know, even at the most senior levels, you know, you know, AI has come up in earnings calls and, uh, pharma companies are investing, you know, significant amounts of money um, into AI, um, and it's somewhat do or die when it comes to the use of AI. You know, there's a perception, I believe, that we're starting to to see companies race to start to apply AI to outpace their competitors by being able to do things faster or create innovation in ways that hasn't been done before. Now, specific to medical affairs, where medical affairs has been challenged is in how to apply AI to the function of medical affairs. And one of the biggest concerns and restrictions has been around the use of chat GPT um, in a compliant way. And many of the largest companies and biotechs have put guidance out to say, do not use chat GPT. And the reason why they've done that is because those large language models are public large language models. So if you put confidential and sensitive information into an LLM like chat GPT or another LLM, you know, there's a risk that that information could be shared with another company and then they might get the learning benefit and access to that sensitive and, and confidential information. And, and, and because of that, you know, it's raised alarms and it's it's prevented companies to jump in and start to use, you know, these public-facing um, um, uh, LLMs to apply it to medical affairs. But what's uh, 
you know, we're proud to say about virtual science AI is that we've designed pharma compliant AI, which allows teams to safely and compliantly work with AI in the function of medical affairs, because our models are unique to the client. And then those benefits are not shared between the other companies. And because of that, we're approved by many of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world and increasingly across uh, others. And, you know, companies are applying our AI um, specifically to advisory panel data to get uh, reports within 24 hours following activity that would have taken three to six weeks. Um, you know, they're able to get information in quantitative outputs, such as sentiment around key strategic topics. Um, you know, companies are also looking to go beyond the advisory board data and start to ingest other data, uh, such as pre and post news around major congresses and try to transcribe stakeholder responses. You know, there's different use cases that, that are coming up that we're helping with to start to make sense of complex medical information to deliver more fast, more meaningful and actionable insights. Well, okay, so all, these large language models like ChatGPT, you know, they're chain, trained on the internet, what, pre-2021. And because they have such uh, a large data set, they can be very accurate, but they can also be sort of pulled one way or the other by everything that is out there. Um, mm -hmm. Do you see an advantage of more medically trained gen AIs or, or AIs, large language models, gen AI models that aren't trained on the full internet, but, but are trained more on medical data? Maybe that's one company, maybe that's many. What, what does that mean? Yeah, it's a really interesting debate in the field of AI, LLMs versus more sort of bespoke tailored models. I think this is one that I'll hand over to Hans to, to comment on. Thank you, Tom. So yes, so for for like if, if you really look into this, like generative AI on the public large data says general purpose, that it's it's spread out. And when you ask the specific questions, it's literally responded in a certain way that is from this experience. And it can be, it can be, you know, very general. And when you medically train it, which is in, in virtual science area, we have three layers of training. One is built them using the medical, large medical literatures to train it. That's starting the LLM to have the base understanding of English or any other languages mm -hmm. from the perspective of medical. So then when it responds, when it outputs uh, any informations is related to medical descriptions. And, and then this, and then we, we take it to the next level. So we also tune it to the domain. So when we work with the clients, we understand that they're working with, for example, HIV, that the disease area will gather that specific information to feed it, to tune it further down to the domain. When I refer to the domain, it can be a drug, it can be a treatment, it can be a disease uh, finding or discussions. 
-hmm. And then finally, we have this third layer, which is when the client works with us, we actually use uh, their interactions, their data to further train AI because they may be, they want, they invent a new word that never appear anywhere else. They invent a new drug name. They invent a new uh, pathway name. Uh, and that actually requires further training. And then we isolate that data, that model in a compliant, isolated environment that only service is popular clients. That's uh, that's how we differentiate uh, ourselves to ChatGPT. Right. All, all, Oh, yeah. One thing oh. I hear is that, you know, uh, if GPT is trained uh, any on the internet any earlier than six months ago, the field has changed so much for our companies that um, we need to be applying further training to it. But, you know, another another pain point that I hear from a lot of data scientists is that we always used to have to have one data set. We used to have to have data sort of healed together at the level of the data itself. D Geraldine, is it true that now these Gen AIs can look across fragmented data and find meaning not just in this one clean data set that we presented, but data sets of differing purpose, different quality, different source, different formatting. Is that true? Yes, absolutely it's true. And um, I'd say the thing that we are what witnessing our companies that we're collaborating with saying we really are helping them to have a much more vision around cultivating collaboration within the organization because the platform mm. and the analytics are able to take that those data sets that you refer to those diverse data sets prevent them from being viewed in silos within the organizations and being able to be applied across so effectively creating a much better cross-functional way of working ultimately this speeds up access to the information that ultimately enables companies to bring their drugs to market faster, to meet unmet medical needs, which is really the applicability of what we're talking about for patients' outcomes. Oh, no, that's interesting. I was thinking about fragmented data sets being things like, you know, generating new knowledge from a patient registry and also electronic health records. And you're saying mm -hmm. that the same approach to... Uh, breaking down data silos can be used internally within the organization to take a data set from commercial and take a data set from ClinDev and take a data set from medical affairs and make company-wide conclusions based on internal diverse data sets. Quite right. And as we know, the uh, time to approval of your uh, and the license indication that you get depends on that diversity. So if you are only working with a small group of patients, you will get a very restricted uh, label. If you don't recruit into your studies rapidly enough, it's going to impact on your entire timeline. So now you're taking external and internal knowledge and yeah. you're applying it 
completely across the board, looking at having a global view within an organization, as opposed to a siloed view of the functional area you're working in and saying, what else do we need to be working with? How else can we get a bigger, diverse group of voice into our studies? Okay, so the more data, the more data diversity externally and internally leads to faster and more robust approvals. That's absolutely right. We've been working with a company uh, just recently who had an, uh, an, an unfavorable hearing from the FDA, and we've been working with them very closely to rapidly absorb various data sets so mm. that they've been able to respond in record time back to the FDA with regard to their response documents. And um, that's that's real life. That's what's happening in the field. So, Tom, this sounds like it goes beyond ad boards. Um, are it is the same or are the same types of gen AI technologies able to find insights in platforms or data for which they weren't specifically designed? I, I, I mean, your technology caught my eye. It was designed for ad boards. But right. now we're talking about diverse data sources. Are we having to reinvent the wheel or or can we use the same sorts of technologies? You know, it's it's uh, you know, we're we're really pleased about the direction that we're going in. So when we started the company, you know, we set out to become uh, the market leader for advisory panel solutions, right? We've got a an overtime engagement platform that is AI enabled to produce uh, insight analytics that have never been produced before following these activities. Mm-hmm. But what we were hearing from our clients is that they were like, this is cool. And, you know, this is, you know, it's faster. They're getting new insights. But what they were saying to us was that your AI could be applied to other data sets. Um, and could you, you know, make sense of these other data sets and, you know, um, I'll give you an example. So, you know, we're working in oncology and, you know, it's a fast evolving uh, space that we're working in within oncology. And, you know, th- there's a particular team that, you know, wants to uh, better understand that disease area as it as it evolves. And it's a medical affairs team. And, you know, w- one of the challenges that they've faced is that there's a lot of data sets, whether that's social or internal, whether it's MSL data, that, that's disconnected and, and they're looking for insights in this data. And, you know, really what they want us to do and, and, and what we're working with them to do is to start to uh, bring together those data sets and contextualize them in a way that makes it very easy to understand and aggregates the findings so they can look at the trends Um over time, um, and it was just something that came up through collaborating with our clients, and so we started to go in this direction. So, t- Tom Geraldine, um, we we have these wonderful insights. They come from all these data sources. We use our Gen AI. It spits out these uh, learnings that that we hope are actionable. We take them to our leadership, and the leadership says, "Really, Gen AI? You know, how are we supposed to believe this?" Or, or or variations on that theme. So what would you say to medical affairs teams that are trying to communicate the impact of the insights generated by Gen AI? I mean, like, let me start by saying that we do have a human in the loop. So whilst we are applying artificial intelligence, it's 
you know, 80% uh, AI and 20% human um, to support with the QA, QC. So, you, you know, you can have very uh, high confidence that the data that's being produced is, is getting a review and it's referenceable. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and then in terms of communicating to leadership, perhaps, Geraldine, do you want to make a, a comment on that? Yeah, I mean, the buzzword, I think, until AI started being the buzzword was omni-channel. And what sure, we nice. see here is you're addressing omni-channel. This is how the customers want to interact with the pharmaceutical companies. They want to work across the board with them. They want to work in new ways. The customers are really excited about working with AI as well. They're not frightened of it whatsoever. They love this idea of that asynchronous platform where they can work over a time that suits them. So you're really starting to address what the customer really wants as opposed to what the pharma company thinks that they want. And that really is making a huge difference. And senior management, are really listening to that. They really love to hear the fact that you're engaging your customers in a way that the customers want to be engaged with. And ultimately, that gives you better insights, more actionable insights, more quickly, in more depth, in a time that really is sustainable for everybody. Oh, that's interesting. So Gen AI offers customer centricity in some of the same ways that Omnichannel would Oh, I don't want to take us down the rabbit hole of comparing <laughs> Omnichannel to Gen AI and how they would all work together because I know that there's some synergies and also some competitions in those areas. Let's let's leave it at that for today. So thanks, Tom, Hans, and Gerald for joining us. To learn more about how your organization can partner with Virtual Science AI, visit virtualscienceai.com. MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.